0: Okay, here we go.
1: Stand by. Three, two, one. The thinking atheist. It's not a person, it's a symbol, an idea.
2: The population of atheists in this country is going through the roof.
1: Rejecting faith, pursuing knowledge, challenging the sacred. If I tell the truth, it's because I tell the truth, not because I put my hand on a book and made a wish working together for a more rational world take
3: the risk of thinking for yourself much more happiness truth beauty and wisdom will come to you that
1: way assume nothing question everything and start thinking this is the thinking atheist podcast hosted by seth andrews
3: This is a broadcast which ties in to our Halloween holiday, the upcoming October 31st holiday. It's about fears and phobias with listeners sharing their particular fears and uh, the things that you know drive them crazy or give them the creeps, the things that may or may not go bump in the night that keep them up at night. We're going to talk quite a bit about that. Don't forget that this broadcast is made available to my patrons commercial free and they get the show a couple of days early and especially with YouTube demonetizing pretty much everything that's being uploaded these days, uh, the patrons are helping me to cover that distance, take up that slack. If you are not a patron, please consider becoming one, patreon.com slash Seth Andrews, with my thanks. As we talk about fears and phobias, here on this, what, third week of October, I used to have a phobia of uh, flying, which is weird for somebody who flies as much as I do. And it arose out of nowhere. Like I used to fly all the time. And then it was five, six years ago for some reason for about a year. And I still can't explain it. I, I started to get like panic attacks when I would fly Isn't that weird. I mean, as much as I travel. And I remember there was one time where we were not even departed from the, the jet bridge yet. And We had some weather in the area and the captain did that sort of precursor announcement. And he said something along the lines of, well, um, you know, we're expecting a few bumps along the way. You know, turbulence, uh, moderate turbulence shouldn't be too bad. uh, But just FYI, I'm going to ask everybody to keep their seats, including the flight attendants, for their own safety. And all they had to do was make that announcement. And I remember getting just panicked. And my palms would sweat, and I had shortness of breath. And the anticipation of the turbulence was so much worse than the actual turbulence itself. And it happened off and on for about a year. And I thought, what's wrong with me? You know. And then it just was gone. Like a, a year, year and a half, something happened, uh, which I just, I remember getting on the plane thinking, I feel great. I'm not weird at all. I don't have anxiety at all. I don't feel panicky at all. And I, to this day, cannot explain it. But we all have those things. When I was younger, I used to have this dream. And it was based on real life. When I was a teenager living in my parents' house, I remember it was my job, because I was up later than everybody else, to close the doors at night and lock them up, make sure that the doors were locked up tight. And this is real life. This is not the dream. And I would go up to the door, and I would turn the lock, and then I would tug on the door. Once or twice, just to make sure that it was snug and make sure that the door itself had latched. And that was my routine. And everybody else went to bed at, you know, 10 o'clock and I was a night owl at the time. And so I'd be up till midnight or later. And then I would make sure that the front and back doors were locked. And uh, in the dream, it was exactly like real life. And I went to the front door and I latched it locked and I tugged on the door one, two, and it was snug And then I would go to the back door and I would turn the latch on the lock and I would pull on the door. But instead of the door catching because it was locked, it would immediately swoosh open because the latch hadn't taken. And there was standing right there immediately in the doorway, a dark figure. And the dark figure's face was nearly featureless. There seemed to be a black cape or something. And then the dream would end just like that. And I couldn't Figure out you know what was dream and what was not at the time I, I woke up in a panic, and then every night for real, when I would go and close the back door, I would expect the dark figure to be there in real life and I had that recurring dream must have been four, five, six different times. And so I've always had this sort of weird thing about whenever you lock the door at night and you can't see what's on the other side and you do that tug to make sure that the door is actually latched. I get a catch in my throat <laughs> and it carries with me from when I was, you know, 14, 15 years old. It's just one of those things. What are some of the things that scare you? Let's find out what our listeners have to say. 806 on the switchboard. Thanks for waiting on me. You're on the Thinking Atheist podcast. Who's this?
4: Hey, it's uh, Shy.
3: Shy, thanks for calling in. Happy Halloween in advance. (laughs) We're talking about fears and phobias.
4: This is something that I always thought was weird. I'm not bothered by pretty much anything alive on this planet, but one thing, centipedes and millipedes.
3: Yeah, I buy that with all the little spindly little legs. Yeah, I get that.
4: And it's weird because I handle spiders. They're no big deal. Toads, snails, lizards, snakes, pretty much anything. But centipedes, just no.
3: Do you dream about them?
4: No, but when I play um, some games, like when I was playing Dark Souls, (laughs) some of the dragons, their necks look almost like centipedes, and I just couldn't.
3: (laughs) Dark Souls has a dragon that reminds you of a centipede.
4: Uh, The way their neck, I want to call them scoops almost, they have like these bits coming out of their neck going down that looks vaguely like a centipede, and I just could not look at them for more than a couple seconds at a time. Did
3: you finish the game, or did you just opt out?
4: Oh, no, I finished. Yeah,
3: yeah. Push. Through. I made sure
4: to kill them just so I wouldn't have to look at them.
3: Face your fears. All but right.
4: Another weird phobia I have that I didn't I don't understand at all is I'm afraid of being on the open ocean, but I have no idea why. Being like just the idea of being out there on the open ocean in a boat or out of a boat, it just, I can't do it.
3: That's actually pretty common. Um,. And I'm not sure if it has to do with the vastness of the ocean or that you cannot see what's underneath the ocean. But I think, you know, that's a pretty common one as well. And uh, certainly in many instances, I would think at night, too, especially understandable. So thanks for sharing your fears and phobias with us. Appreciate you very much. No problem. All right. See you later.
4: Happy Halloween. You
3: too. Uh, Let's see. I've got 740. You are on the Thinking Atheist podcast. Who's this?
5: Hey, Seth, this is Randall. I'm here in Ohio, brother. I'll tell you what, at at 60, I've been married 40 years. You can't scare me anymore. (laughs) (laughs) There's
3: no surprises left in this world for you.
6: (laughs) Well,
5: you know, it's a big world. There's plenty left to see. It's just at this age, you realize that, you know, death is is not about being afraid. I, I was actually more afraid of death Give you a little backstory. I kind of was indoctrinated into the religious situation at about 10 and fully into it at 20. And I had questions. I just never could get the answers. Of course, the internet wasn't as available as it is now. The information age has certainly changed that for everyone. And the fear of death is universal. We all have that. But I don't fear it now. What I fear most is leaving people behind.
3: I think we share that. I was afraid of death when I believed in heaven and hell, even when I thought I was going to heaven. And now I'm not afraid of death at all. I'm a little weird about the process of dying because so often it's traumatic and can be painful. And, you know, the idea of suffering, that's tough.
5: Yeah, it's the idea of how you get there is more important than the actual event itself. You know, three minutes and then you're done. Yeah, someone said, uh,
3: (laughs) it says, it's like it was before you were born. And once I heard it framed that way, yep. I thought, you know, uh, was it Twain who said I hadn't been inconvenienced one bit about my non-existence before and I should be about the same afterwards. That's a huge paraphrase, forgive me. But nothing really shakes you uh, up. Yeah.
5: Huh? Not much at this point, you know I mean? But once you've been on this rock a while, you you begin to realize that, you know, there's not much to be afraid of. Now you put into a different environment, a different situation. You're in the wild or you're stuck. Yeah, you're going to be a little out of your... When you get put out of your element is when you become fearful. Famously, they said, you have nothing to fear but fear itself. But still yet, that can become very, very real in a multitude of ways. Once you get outside that box of comfort
3: well, I appreciate your perspective on it, and have a happy Halloween, my friend.
5: Yeah, happy Halloween to you. Take care, and uh, good to talk to you. And I really appreciate you guys. You've done a fabulous job at the Thinking Atheist. I want to give you some props on that, you and, you and Aaron and all the guys, and God bless. Well, let me rephrase that. <laughs>
3: I get what you're saying.
5: I'm grateful. Yeah, it's still see how permeated it still is in the mindset, the even thing. at this age. Uh, yeah. I'm so grateful for you guys and I have a, always been a big fan of Hitchens, and man, I tell you a lot, he just lays it down, especially with man taking those glasses off and on. Yeah. And buddy, have yourself a good Halloween, and we'll talk to you again sometime. All right, take it easy. We'll see
3: you later. Uh, I look yeah. up Hitchens clips even today when I need like a just a refresher, you know, when I need kind of a boost, and we all go through those valleys, and I'm just thinking, come on. I need an injection of reason and common sense. They're actually better than common sense, like rational sense. And uh, it always seems to help me out a little bit. 407. Thanks for waiting. You're on the Thinking Atheist podcast. Who's this?
7: Hi, Seth. This is Mandy. And can I just say, your home is always Halloween gold.
3: Oh, thank you for that. Well, I'm a little boy at heart. And, you know, I'm that guy who I giggle all night long, October 31st, when the rows upon rows of kids come up to, to get the candy. I mean, the costumes, and we've got a scary movie going on in the background. I'm just a huge fan of the day. So I have to sort of, I guess I overcompensate by showing out with my Halloween decorations at home. But thanks for the kind words. I appreciate that.
7: Of course. So I'm a little embarrassed to say mine, but I'm just going to own it. Um, I have a huge, completely unrealistic fear of gnomes i'm
3: sorry no i'm not laughing at you
7: i know it's all ridiculous but you know when i was little my dad had a gnome in our backyard and it was just kind of like you know those paintings where the eyes just like follow you i felt like the gnome was constantly following me in the backyard and i told my dad is can we like get rid of the gnome and instead i love my dad he's a great dad But he totally messed with me. And my friends would knock on my window to come, like, say, hey, come out and play. And my dad would knock on the window and I would open the blinds and the gnome would be there instead of him. (laughs) It was so mean. But it just further solidified my fear of gnomes. And no matter how unrealistic it is, I just can't get over it and my friends left mess with me all the time especially now that there's the zombie gnomes and all these different like more horrific versions of gnomes as i've gotten older
3: oh yeah people know your weakness now you're a target you got a big target on you you know it's funny i'm playing a game it's called little nightmares and you're this child who's navigating a deadly environment and throughout the different rooms of the game they have little gnome-like creatures that scamper and scatter as they walk around. Oh, my goodness. And you know what I mean? Uh, And I so I I can actually feel a little bit of the dread that you feel because an animated living gnome-like creature is actually pretty darn terrifying.
5: Horrifying. I
3: feel you. I feel you. Thanks for sharing, being so transparent. Thanks for owning it on the radio. And thanks for talking to us. Have a happy (laughs) Halloween.
4: Thanks. You too, Seth. Uh,
3: See you later. Uh, I was looking at some of the different social phobias that people have fear of, you know, like being judged, uh, fear of eating something or eating in front of other people, fear of certain situations. There is, of course, agoraphobia, the fear of open spaces. It can trap people in their homes because they're afraid to go out. There is acrophobia, which is the fear of heights. Who was it who just shared the Stephen Wright joke about the fear of widths? Yeah, well played. There is aerophobia or aviophobia. That's the fear of flying or the fear of an air disaster being in a plane crash. Claustrophobia, of course, the fear of enclosed spaces. There's a scene where I'm watching classic aliens. You guys see the James Cameron film back from 1986, I think. And my buddy, Corey, is claustrophobic. There's a scene where Bishop, the android, goes into this pipe and he has to crawl through this pipe, this narrow pipe, uh, like 300 yards to get out to the other side to be able to remote pilot a ship. And whenever Bishop goes into the pipe and they weld the top back in on top of him and he's crawling, you know, inch by inch at a time. He's visibly traumatized by it. And I mean, I can understand it. I can understand where that comes from. You're restricted. You can't really move your arms or legs. You can't see. You're in darkness except for a flashlight. There's entomophobia, the fear of insects. There's aphidiophobia, the fear of snakes. Sinophobia is a fear of dogs. This is particularly common among children and door-to-door salespeople often because they had a bad experience with an aggressive dog or what they feared was an aggressive dog. Astrophobia, there's the fear of storms. Thunder and lightning can send people's hearts racing. This was common with one of my dogs. I'm not familiar with it ever happening with a human being. You ever know anybody who was afraid of storms? There's, wow, I want to say trypanophobia, which is the fear of medical procedures that involve injection, or needles. And this also carries over to things like the tattoo artist's needle as well. And my wife works in the medical field and she'll talk about how, you know, they'll have this massively invasive not the word I'm looking for, but it's this orchestrated procedure that a patient has to go through and they won't be up all night thinking about the procedure They'll be up all night thinking about the initial injection that happens before the procedure. It's the one needle prick that causes them great anxiety. And the rest of it, well, you know, they can deal. It's interesting what a tiny needle can conjure up. There's also glossophobia, the fear of public speaking. Dentophobia, guess what? That's the fear of the dentist. There's nyctophobia, fear of darkness. So you always have to have the night light on. I had read as far as the social phobia once that teenagers have a social phobia and it's worse than the fear of death. And for teenagers, it is the fear of being embarrassed, embarrassed, like called out in front of a classroom or humiliated in front of your friends. One of those types of things. I wish I could source that. I I don't take it to the bank and let me do some digging and see if I can find the actual data or you can find it and perhaps send it to me. But it was the fear of being embarrassed for young people was actually greater for a lot of them, greater than the fear of dying, like in an accident or something. The fear of being embarrassed trumped that one. I thought it was an interesting observation. Real short break. When I come back, we'll go back to the switchboard and talk more to our listeners about the things that creep them out. Hang on. I'm going to be at the Florida Freethought Convention, November 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, Orlando, Florida. Details on that event are at FreeFlow. That's FreeFLO.org. And then the weekend after that, I'm going to be in Phoenix, Arizona. Matt Delahunty and I are taking the stage together for one night, November 9th. The details on that are at the events page at SethAndrews.com. Talking now about our fears and phobias. Since it is the season of fear, let's go back to the phones. 813, you're on the Thinking Atheist podcast. Who's this? Oh, hi. Ralph from Tampa, Florida. Ralph, thanks for calling, my friend. We're talking about phobias and fears. What do you think?
8: Uh, For me, it's gotten better now, but it was rats for many years. And when I was a kid, I actually saw a movie where... The mother was abusing this little girl physically, and then she throws her into the pantry, locks her in. The girl is pounding, and in the way the camera was angled, you could see the face of the rat. I think that's where it started. And I worked in New York City for 26 and a half years, and, of course, at one time or another, you're going to see a rat on the subway, and I remember screaming every time I would see one. And it's kind of strange the way I, I kind of broke the fear. Now, I'm not saying I'm okay with it. Now, I'm a lot better. Like, I won't scream, but I'll react like, oh, you again. One time I had a mouse in my apartment, and it ate the poison, and so it was kind of groggy. Like, it wasn't running, so I just took a hammer and smashed its <laughs> head. Jeez. And I don't know why. That felt so good. It's like after that, I haven't been that frightened of rats.
3: This is a <laughs> movie on Shudder, I think. It's it poison the rat and think smash so. it to death with a hammer. That would traumatize me. Oh, probably. it felt
8: good. So It felt good. My partner had to say, okay, stop, stop. You're going you're gonna to ruin the floor. Oh,
3: my God. You were repeatedly <laughs> bashing the body of the rat yeah. with a hammer? Yeah.
8: yeah. It was a mouse, but yes, it felt great.
3: <laughs> Man over so mouse. So now
8: it's not as bad. I'll tell you, for years, I was like frightened, literally. Like if I would see one up close, I couldn't sleep for for that night because I kept thinking of the rat. So now it's a lot better. I work as a security guard, and I once was assigned somewhere overnight. And I did see one pass by me, and I just remember thinking, <laughs> "Oh, okay, you again." So now it's not as bad. It's gotten better.
3: I'm glad. I'm glad oh, that the intensity has ramped <laughs> I, down. Yeah. Uh, uh, my friend, I appreciate <laughs> you very much, and uh, we'll catch you next time, okay? okay? Thank you. Happy Halloween. You too. Take care. 216, thanks for waiting on me. You're on the Thinking Atheist podcast. We're talking about fears and phobias. What's your name?
9: Uh, hey, Seth, this is Eric from Cleveland. Eric,
3: what's going on?
9: All right, well, I have two uh, quick points that are related Um I'd have to say what, what used to always scare me was, um, the idea of being a parent, uh, a long while ago, probably about two years ago or so you did an episode about being child free individuals who for whatever reason have decided they just have no desire to be a parent. And, uh, for many different reasons, which I won't go into, that's totally me. Now I should be set because thanks science for this thing called a vasectomy, but, uh what scares me now is this attack on reproductive rights that we're seeing here in the U.S., especially women's reproductive rights, an attack on abortion rights. Yeah, I watching just, what's I happening in
3: Alabama right. and um, I think Missouri as well. We've seen shades of it in Florida and Arkansas, even
9: Oklahoma. I Ohio, you, too. Yeah. I'm in Ohio, Ohio, too. Do you find yourself
3: watching the headlines with trepidation?
9: Yeah, I, I, just, I just don't want us to turn into the handmade snail. I guess. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, I mean, yeah, truthfully, there's not a whole lot that scares me, but it's, it's like, you know, we're overpopulated. We have enough children as it is. There's always going to be people who genuinely want to have children, and there's also going to be less responsible people and oops babies as well. I just don't think it's right that um, you tell a woman she has no right to an abortion or even a more permanent method of uh, contraception to begin with. And it just makes me wonder, you know, um, I what kind of battles would I be fighting if I was a woman because it doesn't seem as difficult for a man, so... That's, yeah, I guess there's not a whole lot that scares me, but that just that the, this whole battle on reproductive rights and especially women's reproductive rights just kind of has me freaked out for the sake, not for my sake, but for the sake of our future.
3: Fair enough. Good point. Thanks for the call, my friend.
9: Hey, thanks for taking my
3: call. You bet. Take care. I mean, I find myself every day watching the news with that Picard look on my face where he says damage report, you know. Damage report. How bad is it today? 956. Thanks for waiting. You're on the Thinking Atheist podcast. Who's this?
10: Good morning, Seth. This is Tony calling in
9: from Birmingham, Alabama.
3: Welcome, my friend. It's good to uh, talk to a heathen in the Deep South. We're talking about fears and phobias. What do you think?
9: Well, my
10: fear when I was a kid, it's going to sound pretty funny and ridiculous, but I grew up having a massive fear of balloons. Um... I guess the movie, it has a lot to do with it because, you know, red balloons popping and shit coming out of them. And as I was only five at the time when the movie came out. So, yeah, definitely played a huge role in me being terrified of them.
3: I can imagine. I don't like balloons popping. You know, when someone takes their hand and they rub it on the outside of the balloon itself and you hear that kind of, a, you know, and the balloon. Uh, oh, could yeah.
6: Pop. That, that, that little
10: screeching noise and shit yeah Yeah, that really really gets behind my back and it just makes my hair crawl
3: yeah well i didn't mean to take you to that dark place i'm just saying i feel you oh
10: no no you're 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 good you're good okay uh but yeah that's uh it's probably now more of the surprise pop that comes from it because I'm sometimes, you know, I, I'll, I'll be sitting down and then I have a kid in front of me playing with a balloon and I'm still looking at a distance like, no, take that shit out of me.
3: (laughs) So yeah,
10: that's, that's my fear right there.
3: All right. Thanks for sharing it and have a happy Halloween.
1: All right. Thank you.
3: Take it easy. 308. Thanks for waiting. You're on the thinking atheist podcast. Who's this?
1: Hi, Seth. This is Amanda from Middle Nebraska.
3: Hi, Amanda. I had
1: the pleasure of meeting you in Lincoln just recently. Oh,
3: yeah. Yeah, it was a great tour stop in Lincoln. We had a lot of good people out, and it was great to hang. So So we're talking fears. I mean, are you afraid of anything?
1: Well, it's the more cliche one, and to follow up that red balloon one from just a second ago, it's kind of it-related as well. Growing up, I kind of blame my dad for letting me in the background watching the movie it when it first came out or I guess the mini series from years ago, but clowns used to terrify me plenty when I was a child. Totally understandable. I've got an entire
3: chapter called Clown in my Ghost Stories audiobook where we talk about the fear of clowns and and how that they used to put Paintings of clowns in hospitals and pediatric wards thinking that they were cheering up the children. And then finally, when they got into the research, realized that they were scaring the shit out of the children and had to go replace the clown paintings.
1: Recently at the clinic here where uh, I go in the pediatric area, they had clown carousels hanging from the ceiling up until maybe about three years ago. I did not like looking down that hallway. Oh, hell
3: no. I wouldn't be doing
1: it. No, not in any way. But I've kind of overcome that clown fear in recent years and dressed up as one for Halloween when my coworker told me she didn't think I'd be able to do it. And I love special effects makeup, and Halloween is my favorite holiday as well. And uh, I sent you a picture a few years ago, too. Uh, I
3: remember. I remember. You would overcome your fear. And I said, send me a photograph so I can see what you did. And it was really ornate. It was really well done.
1: Thank you. Thank you. I love the uh, foam latex prosthetics that you can glue to your face like they do in the movies and really make a creature come true. And now I'm just fascinated in the most creepy clowns that I can possibly find. You overcame. So now it might be more of an obsession. (laughs) You overcame. Well, I'm glad to hear
3: that. And thanks for uh, Thanks for sharing it with us. You know, you're not the only one out there who's been weirded out by clowns, especially with stuff like American Horror Story and Twisty the Clown. And there's some scary-ass clowns out there.
1: They still make me kind of go ick, but now I'm a little more fascinated with them than scared.
3: Awesome. Well, you give us hope and you empower us with your words of encouragement. And you have a happy Halloween, okay? Thank you. All right, we'll see you later. You too. Um, Bye. It looks like an international call 63. Who's this? This
2: is Matt from the Philippines.
3: Appreciate you calling in, my friend. We're talking about the month of October and the yes. time of scares and phobias yes. and things that freak us out. What do you think?
2: Yeah, actually, I have anxiety. Uh, it's more of an anxiety than a fear. It's, um, it's the anxiety or, or you would say fear of being idle, of not being able to do anything, being helpless or be not, not having any activity to do. So that upsets me.
3: (laughs) I think that's the
2: best word for that. The
3: fear of of being idle or the fear of being useless?
2: It's idle and helpless. Uh, Being idle in a a sense, there's nothing for me to do. I I just get agitated and sometimes even have panic attack if I'm not able to do anything productive. Also... uh, When I feel helpless, when, for example, I'm waiting for certain news that would affect me uh, personally, greatly, just drives me up the wall.
3: (laughs) I think that's a relatable one. You know, you're going to get a diagnosis or somebody's going to make this decision or you may or may not get the gig or the job or the decision in your favor. And so you've got to wait.
2: I've actually, I've been sent to our office clinic before, and I think I've Actually, been sent to the hospital once for the for having anxiety at that. It
3: doesn't help whenever they leave you hanging for days at a time, waiting for the quote unquote results to come in, right?
2: Yeah, it just builds up, builds up every minute. I, I
3: don't know why I put <laughs> and results I in just, scare quotes there. Why did I say quote unquote results? The actual results come in, and you've got to wait for them. Yeah.
2: I just actually wanted to discuss one more thing. Yeah. Since I'm from the Philippines, we don't have Halloween. We actually have All Saints Day and All Souls Day, which is actually on the 1st of November and 2nd of November, respectively. It's a... It's Catholic. Mostly a Roman Catholic Christian holiday, where, yes, mostly it's been handed down from, I think, from the Spanish. So on the, every 21st, actually on the 31st, usually a lot of people go to the seminary and stay there overnight. It's like a, it, it's, it's very packed. It's like a, a holiday, a beach holiday where every plot has, almost every plot has tents and uh, mats, and on the first, people gather to the plot of their loved ones and basically have a get-together there.
6: Mm.
2: There's actually also <laughs> Pizza Hut, KFC, fast food, basically, in, in, inside the seminary on, the, on those holidays.
3: Well, you know, a lot of people don't know that Halloween is stands for All Saints' Eve. Uh, so it's actually related to All Saints' oh, Day yeah, yeah. and
2: that the Catholic
3: Church was trying to take over what was kind of a Druid celebration, blah, blah, blah. Um, well, you know, I hope you celebrate in some way down there in the Philippines. And uh, thanks so much for calling the show. Okay, Matt?
2: Oh uh, Yeah. Okay. So see you in the gaming stream. All right. I'll see have you. A, have a good Halloween. All
3: right. Take care. Uh, Let's see. I've got an article here and it says, what happens in the brain when we feel fear? It's posted at the Smithsonian. What happens in the brain when we feel fear and why some of us can't get enough of it? This is posted a couple of years ago. Fear may be as old as life on earth. It is a fundamental, deeply wired reaction evolved over the history of biology. To protect organisms against perceived threat to their integrity or existence, fear may be as simple as the cringe of an antenna in a snail that's touched, or as complex as existential anxiety in a human. Whether we love or hate to experience fear, it's hard to deny that we certainly revere it, devoting an entire holiday to the celebration of fear. Thinking about the circuitry of the brain and human psychology, some of the main chemicals that contribute to the fight-or-flight response are also involved in other positive emotional states, such as happiness and excitement. So it makes sense that the high arousal we experience during a scare may also be experienced in a more positive light. But what makes the difference between getting a rush and feeling completely terrorized? We are psychiatrists who treat fear and study its neurobiology. Our studies and clinical interactions, as well as those of others, suggest that a major factor in how we experience fear has to do with context. When our thinking brain gives feedback to our emotional brain and we perceive ourselves as being in a safe space, we can then quickly shift the way we experience that high arousal state going from one of fear to one of enjoyment or excitement. When you enter a haunted house during a Halloween season, for example, anticipating a ghoul jumping out at you and knowing it isn't really a threat, you're able to quickly relabel the experience. In contrast, if you were walking in a dark alley at night and a stranger began chasing you, both your emotional and thinking areas of the brain would be in agreement that the situation is dangerous and it's time to flee. But how does your brain do this? And I'll skip the explanation and link to the article in the chat and in the description box if anybody is interested to uh, read more about that from Smithsonian Magazine. Area code 541. You're on the Thinking Atheist podcast. Who's this?
11: Hi, uh, my name is Daniel. I live in uh, Oregon. When I was a little kid I had the most random weird fear just because in my mind I had the idea that fairies were full size people and uh (laughs) my fear was that when I lost my when I started losing my teeth, uh my bed was right next to the window and I was like, Hmm, if I put the tooth under my pillow, the tooth fairy's gonna step on my head when she comes in and kill me. On accident.
3: Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Hang on. Hold on. on, Hang on. (laughs) Hold on. All right. So, you were at the time when you were losing your baby teeth and you were awaiting the tooth fairy, but you believe that uh, fairies were full sized beings, human sized, and you were afraid that the tooth fairy would accidentally kill you during her nightly visit.
11: Yep. I feared that it would come through the window and step on my head because my headboard was right next to the window.
3: Did you do the whole tooth under the pillow thing, or what?
11: So we resorted to putting my teeth into this glass jar that had a flip lid and basically just holding on to them instead.
3: You got a container full of teeth? Oh, that's a movie right there. That's another movie <laughs> from Shudder.
11: At least it's my own teeth. That's not like other people's teeth. It's
3: true. Did you ever get any cash on that transaction? I know that normally you're supposed to... I did. Okay, good. So you got paid. My
11: my parents would give me the cash, though. Okay. just so one of those things, like, uh, even to this day, I think back and I laugh at it. I'm like, why would I even think this?
3: Well, I, I, you know, I think a lot of us have irrational things that pop into our brains <laughs> that, you know, we wonder, well, how did I get there? And, and why did that get implanted? And why am I thinking about it or even obsessed with it? And it was, you know, it's one of those things. Plus, when your kids and your imagination's on crack, You know, and you haven't lived, you know, like my earlier caller to be 60, where you've seen so much and you've kind of been able to tuck all that stuff away. It's, yeah, it can be very affecting. But thanks for sharing it, my friend. And thanks for calling the show.
11: And thanks for taking my call. I really enjoy your content.
3: Appreciate you very much. Thank you. Area code 440. Thanks for waiting on me. You're on the Thinking Atheist podcast. Who's this?
6: Hello, this is Beth. Hi, Beth. And I have an irrational phobia of cats. I have a good reason for it. Wanted did
5: a cat um, ever when do I to was you? About,
6: a lot of things, actually. When I was about two, my parents moved into a new house. And the previous homeowners gave their old cat to the next-door neighbor. And this cat would stalk me. I have a memory of running away from it and looking over my shoulder, and it leapt through the air, and I just fade to black. And then I'm sitting on my kitchen counter while my parents fuss all over it. <laughs> wow. So I, there was a second instance where I was on a tricycle and it was charging straight for me. I fell off, and the neighbor ran over and picked up the cat. And she says, no, look, it's a nice cat. See, it's purring. And I remember it had its eyes half closed, as it purred at me, and I remember thinking, this animal is evil. It wants <laughs> to kill me, and it's lying about it. <laughs> Well, so every time I see one I get this weird impression that they're stalking me and want to kill me
3: because it's a cat you may not be far off right you know cats will feign <laughs> affection and love but in truth beyond the surface underneath that sort of fluffy exterior there is uh, evil and contempt for all humankind kind of a thing so you may not be far
6: off the good news is my sister has one and I've adjusted so I can get used to a specific cat and go this cat is fine but any new cat freaks me
3: out. I've got a cat here that you would definitely be afraid of. I mean, he purrs and occasionally talks to you, but he's pure evil. He's he's, <laughs> he's just one of these animals that, you know, if, if he was big enough, he would destroy all of humankind and take over and dominate the planet kind of a thing. He's an apex predator for sure.
6: They seem to like me. So it's a one way thing.
3: Well, I appreciate you sharing it. Thanks so much for the call.
6: No problem. All right, take
3: care. Take care. It's funny, I was looking at this list of irrational fears, and then somebody had posted a list of rational ones. Like, here's the shit we ought to really be afraid of. Stuff like government corruption, and polluted drinking water, and high medical bills, and climate change, air pollution, terrorism, somebody stealing your identity, credit card fraud, biological warfare, uh, people you love becoming ill or dying... Getting hit by a drunk driver, losing your job, nuclear accidents or meltdowns. Of course, this in the wake of the HBO miniseries Chernobyl. Somebody breaking into your house, the fear of sharks, the fear of devastating hurricanes, earthquakes, tornadoes, insert natural disaster here. Jesus, the more you read this list, the more you just want to hole up in your house, lock the door, binge something on Netflix and never go outside again. But we all know that's no way to live. You can live in the what-if universe forever, but that just means that decades of your life pass by and you spent all of your life not really living. That's no alternative. But I do understand it. I mean, once you see these lists of genuine fears, things that actually do happen in real life that might happen to anyone at any time, it kind of does make you stop and pause for just a second. 903, thanks for waiting on me. You're on the Thinking Atheist podcast. Who's this?
5: hey uh this is steve from liver texas it's good to talk to you Seth. What's up steve we're
3: talking about phobias and fears what do you think
5: first and foremost was a sleep paralysis like i don't have it so much as when i was younger but man that that can be something that can shake you up in a
1: quick quick minute
3: yeah for those who aren't familiar with it and this is something you and i have in common i have two or three episodes a year and For those who don't know what uh, sleep paralysis is, just imagine this. Your body is being paralyzed as you dream. So if you dream that you are running or swimming or whatever, it means that your arms and legs are not trying to act out whatever it is that you are dreaming while you lie there in bed. So the brain paralyzes the body while you're in stage four REM sleep. But during sleep paralysis, what happens is, is that you are almost awake But your brain has continued to paralyze the body and you start to sort of halfway sense the bedroom around you and then you hallucinate. Many people say that they see shadowy figures looming above them. They feel a pressure on their chest and so they panic. They're unable to move so they panic more and it's just a terrifying experience for anybody who's been through it. It's called sleep paralysis. That's a pretty accurate description, do you think, of sleep paralysis?
5: Oh yeah, man. Like especially especially when I was a kid. I mean, I deconverted like a couple years back, but at the time, yeah, yeah, I was I was I'd I'd be like nine, ten, and I I would seriously were like would seriously think like oh crap, there are some demons right there. Definitely one of those things that'll. Uh, Scare the
3: ever-loving crap out of you. Well, <laughs> you know it's it's interesting too that when you are raised to believe in a spiritual plane and demons and devils, that it can feel like a spiritual yep. attack. So if you're a person who who lives in that sort of religious cocoon and you wake up, you're paralyzed. There's something crushing your chest, and there's a presence in the room. You will often tell yourself that it was a devil or a demon or a wicked spirit, and you had been attacked spiritually in the night. And people well, often, there's a documentary called The Nightmare about sleep paralysis. And you can tell because the more skeptical realize that it's, you know, this is a natural phenomenon, explainable. And the more spiritual people are the ones who are talking about how it's, you know, beings from another plane kind of thing. But it's easy to call it demons when you believe in God and the devil, right? Yeah, no kidding, man. My friend, I got to move on. Thanks so much for the call. I appreciate you.
5: Thank you very much. I enjoy your stuff, and you take care. All
3: right. On the show roster coming up here in the next few weeks, we're going to do a just a caller-driven, you pick the topic show. Uh, those are always fun because you just never know what the listeners are going to bring to the table. I've got a broadcast coming up where we're going to talk to some ex-Jehovah's Witnesses about some of the just craziness that happens and the Jehovah's Witness religious organization and church Uh, i've got dr donald prothro he's a paleontologist and geologist who has written like 30 some books on these subjects an expert a leader in this field he's doing a show with me called evolution 101 for creationists that's going to kick off the month of november lots of good stuff on the podcast horizon thanks to you for listening and for being a part of it i will see you back here next time on the Thinking Atheist radio podcast. Take care.
1: Follow The Thinking Atheist on Facebook and Twitter. For a complete archive of podcasts and videos, products like mugs and t-shirts featuring the Thinking Atheist logo, links to Atheist pages and resources, and details on upcoming free thought events and conventions, log on to our website, thethinkingatheist.com.